Greetings and welcome to season two, episode 85 of Chief Yuya podcast. And, uh, we're going to continue on with our lessons, uh, surrounding the Jezebel and Ahab spirit. And, um, in this session, we're going to, you know, lighten it up a little bit. You know, I know in the last one we were going more so with a lot of the characteristics and the history of Jezebel and in terms of the real life or Jezebel, as I shared, Jezebel, Jezebel, you know, where is the prince or the unhusbanded one? But, um, in this session, we definitely, we're going to kind of make it a little bit more relatable. You know, I'm going to share an illustration with you. And I think with that illustration, it will help you to pull the idea of Jezebel to a current space. You know, I know, um, when you're dealing with Jezebel or you're dealing with Ahab, for many, it's a triggering sort of, uh, concept. It's very triggering to think about some of the damage that's been caused by that personality. And like I shared in our last session, some of that damage came from my mother's, it came from my father's, you know, came from close relatives, friends, even our children, because, uh, this is a spirit that has no respect of person. So you can have female Ahabs and you can have male Jezebels. And essentially what you're looking at when you have a, uh, female, or let's just say not even really worry about the female or the male aspect, but when you have that spirit that's present, whether it's the, the masculine Jezebel or the feminine Ahab or vice versa, you know, what you're looking at there is, uh, energy of, especially with Jezebel authority, wanting to control, you know, wanting to control everything. You know, you see with that, what I shared in our last session that Jezebel was intent on controlling Ahab. And you see that the concept of death being present. We didn't get into the Naboth story, but we will. That crucifying, you know, I got to hold you up against, you know, false witnesses even and crucify you. And we'll see that with the story of Naboth. And then you have the idea of canceling, like we have cancel culture nowadays. And that was what was raised against Elijah or Elijah, you know, the prophet. So there are certain things that come out and some of us have been scarred by that. You know, the, the, the word no, you know, how that is such a trigger, uh, to a Jezebel spirit. You know, once you say no, the truth of what she actually is and what her intentions actually come out at that point, the truth of what she really is comes out. You see sometimes Jezebel spirits in children, you know, and we'll call that, Oh, this child is spoiled. This child is a brat. And sometimes we don't realize you're looking at a Jezebel. So everything is, is cool as long as the child is in control of the parent, in control of the environment, in control of the other friends even. And as soon as they're told no, they can't do anything, they go on a, on a seek and destroy mission. They'll destroy anyone in their path. You know, years ago I had a friend who was incarcerated, um, behind something like that. You know, a, a young woman, he was, he was dating at the time, uh, his, her daughter, excuse me, um, had filed a false abuse, sexual abuse claim against him because she just 
didn't like him. She didn't want him around. And then she later came out and came clean at the fact that she was lying. But because he had priors, he, he ended up doing like seven years behind that, you know, seven years in prison. So, um, that's a Jezebel. And you may look at it at time. I believe the girl is about 12 years old. You know, you may look and say, well, it's just a child, you know, but again, you're dealing with the demonic spirit in that sense. And there's never any real repentance with that spirit. There's never any, if you try to rebuke the spirit, it doesn't, no, I don't feel bad, you know, so, uh, we're going to get into that a little bit more. Like I said, I'm going to share it in a, maybe a lighter way, you know, with the story, but of course, like in all sessions, let's begin with our proverb before we get into our movie for the strong. A proverb is as such. When you are inspired by some great purpose, some extraordinary project, all your thoughts break their bonds. Your mind transcends limitations. Your consciousness expands in every direction. And you find yourself in a new, great and wonderful world. Dormant forces, faculties and talents become alive. And you're discover, you discover yourself to be a great person by far than you ever dreamed yourself to be. All right. So that's your, your proverb for this session for you to kind of focus on and, and throw some, some mental energy into if, if you so choose to. All right. So let's get into our, our movie for this strong. Of course, uh, our movie last strong was, uh, the fountain. With, with Hugh Jackman and I trust everyone enjoyed that one. I got, I got some good feedback, you know, um, but, uh, yeah, I trust that you all, even those of you who did not give any feedback yet, uh, that you enjoyed it. You know, it's, it's a cool movie. I, I think it's actually a beautiful movie. In fact, I would go so far as to say that it's a, it's a beautiful movie. If you really look at the, the concepts that are present there and, and I felt it was done in a, in a very, uh, respectful sort of way, you know? So on to another movie and you, you're probably going to start to see a theme <laughs> with the first set of movies. You know, I, I have the movies and the books and everything. They're kind of, they're, they're, they, they all relate together in a sense where it's, I've set them up in a thematic sort of way. So the movie for this, uh, session is Little Buddha, Little Buddha. Um, it's a movie that came out, uh, back in 90, 93. 1993 and it was uh written by uh rudy ruley willitzer and mark peplow so it's pretty good it was directed by um bernardo um bertolucci and he he had did some stuff before that was uh pretty interesting i, I believe he did like the little uh not the little emperor the, the last emperor um that came out in 87 you know but he's got a he's got a pretty cool kind of um uh way that he he approaches you know different films you know like um tragedy of a ridiculous man was also a pretty good one too but anyway that's those were his other films but this one we're focused on little buddha and little buddha is the tale of siddhartha you know and uh this is actually a film that you can watch with children you know it's not like samsara i know samsara was a bit racy and of course um I keep, I keep wanting to say little John, <laughs> little John, uh, the fountain, uh, the fountain, uh, you know, had, had some death 
in murder scenes and but little Buddha is actually a pretty good um family flick you can watch and you can even ask some some like you know you could turn it into a, you know a, a teaching experience as well if you want to watch it with your children but it's a story of siddhartha and siddhartha um was the individual who eventually we became came to know as the buddha he became the buddha and um you know with this particular film you know we have certain things i won't share too much right but you know one of the things to always remember is that buddha buddha never said that he was divine buddha never said that he was a savior buddha never said that he was um god or a god um but rather referred to himself as a teacher I mean, he referred to himself as a, as a therapist even. So when you see people who are in praise of the Buddha, um, they're not necessarily worshiping the Buddha, but they're saying, you know, thank you, <laughs> you know, because you being an enlightened one, you were able to share certain inf- information with us that we would not have normally had access to, but not that Buddha is, is God or a God, um, per se, you know, so, what Buddha, a lot of what was happening, and, I, and I'm not just speaking about the movie, but in general, was to understand pain and despair. And he felt the cure was to change your perspective on the world um, and come to a place where you could see pain and despair as being separate from yourself. You know, and when you realize that, that's when you you attain um, enlightenment. You know, you start to see the the limitation of your finite self being dissolved like now okay i'm seeing myself as one with all things and there's a condition that exists beyond the limitations of what my body is and even behind beyond my feelings beyond my thought beyond what it is that i will you know for myself so it's not just like this mystical kind of experience you know when one comes into enlightenment but it's it's an exercise in becoming um, more humane by realizing one's connection, connection to the, the, what, what we would really call reality to be, you know? And, um, so it's, it's a good film. Like I said, it's definitely a good, you could do a lot of teaching with it. You know, if, even as an adult, you know, if you're not familiar with, with Buddha and, um, this story, they, they take a, a interesting, kind of direction in terms of like you have concepts of death in there you have concepts of reincarnation and of course teachings around the buddha and they were able to weave them and even like west comes east east comes west sort of thing and they they were able to weave them all into you know the story around buddha you know who was born in the sixth century bc you know in, in nepal and um you know, there's there's a lot of mythology around this life. Some is some is some is is real, some of it isn't. But we know around like 520 BCE, he came into enlighten enlightenment, and he started to preach and teach sermons and spoke about salvation from, from suffering and, and things like that. And um, he had disciples, you know, um, for about 45 years, and he died um, at 80. And Buddha died from eating spoiled food, you know, but again, his teachings, you know, live on. So one thing I would suggest as a parent, right, this is something I did with my children because this this flick came out in 93 and I did watch this film with my, my children 
and I, I'll just give you some of my own stuff that I did. One of which was I had the children, um, uh, memorize the, the four noble truths of Buddhism. You know, um, if you don't know them, you got to know them first as a parent, but life is imperfect and life leads to suffering, you know, um, like growing old and, and being attached to other people and being separated from the things that you love. You know, it essentially meaning that life is not permanent, right? Uh, that's one noble truth. The other noble truth would be that, um, the, your desire to, um, personally fulfill yourself is the cause of suffering and imperfection and imperfection. And, you know, no matter how charitable that you may be, um, you'll always be more concerned with you and yours than others. You know, you making sure that you and your children and your family is safe than, than others. So your, your desire and your will to be personally fulfilled is where suffering, suffering comes from. The other, uh, noble truth is, um, in order to cure the impermanence or the suffering of life, you have to overcome your individual will to be personally fulfilled. So your third noble truth ties in with the second noble truth. And then the fourth noble truth is what we call the eight, eightfold path. And that's how you overcome the will to individual personal fulfillment, you know, and the eightfold path is, 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 um, it's a way that you begin to form certain habits, if you will, that help you to release or helps a person to be released from ignorance of self and from, um, the, the, that, that strong desire to just fulfill yourself, you know, selfishness. Um, you, you start to embark on a path where you first kind of associate yourself, um, with following a path. You have a teacher, you know, you look for groups that are about, you know, the paths, you know, um, and you know, it, it, it goes deeper, you know, like your eightfold, you have right knowledge, right speech, right action. Right aspiration, um, right livelihood, right effort, right concentration and right mindfulness. You know, and these are things that you, these are different concepts that you explore, you know, those, those, um, in that eightfold path. And it's not easy, of course, you know, uh, but you like, like we say in Buddhism, I seek refuge in the, Bu- in the Buddha, my enlightened teacher, teacher, um, who I commit myself to my own enlightenment. And I go for my refuge within Dharma, the spiritual teachings. I commit myself to the truth as it is. I go for my refuge in the Sangha, which is my spiritual community. I commit myself to living the enlightened life. You know? So that's the film we're going to check out, right? Um, I didn't really give anything away because there's a lot, there's a lot in there. <laughs> and you know, the, the film was based on a true story. It was something that actually happened, um, with a person by the name of, um, Sonam, Sonam Wangu. And it was kind of based around that. And this was when you understand, when you see it, you understand like, um, person who dreamed of Son, Sonan Wangdu as being a reincarnation of the Shun Post, you know? Um, so like I said, you have concepts in there of reincarnation and a bunch of other stuff, you know? So, um, Little Buddha is our film. And of course, our Anu community will be watching it, you know, on Sabbath at 5 30 PM. So be there. All right. <laughs> but yeah, that is our film. Now let's get into our concept. Uh, I mean, like I said, I'm going to start us with a story. Okay. So now bear with me here. You know, um, I'm a freestyle of story here, but 
it's gonna it's gonna gonna help us out to understand this this whole Jezebel and, and Ahab sort of dynamic. So we're gonna take two people and we're going to call um we're gonna call them um we'll call them uh <laughs> I'm already messing up on my freestyle. Alright, so we're gonna call them um Kenny and um Diane. Kenny and Diane, okay? Kenny and Diane, they're a young two young people who um they grew up in the same neighborhood together and um were a part of some of the same cultural or community based experiences. Ended up going to college together, local college together, and um very quickly they began to sort of fall in love, if you will. And even though they both were committed to uh, certain spiritual practices where they said, you know, we're going to abstain from sex and, you know, we're only going to um, have coitus once we're married. Um, Diane became very sexual after, you know, in a very short period of time, she became very aggressive, very flirtatious and um, started to send sexual vibrations to Kenny and Kenny, of course, um, gave in to that energy and gave in to that pressure. And even though they were, they were presenting themselves as individuals who were living a righteous life and, and really looking to live a life of purity and righteousness until they were married, um, they were diving into this pool and it got to a point that Kenny just couldn't say no anymore. You know, he's just enjoying the experience so much. And, you know, as a young person with raging hormones, sometimes it could become very difficult to um, say no to certain advances. So though there was a certain commitment there, you know, there were lines that were being crossed. And in Kenny's mind, he's saying, she's really into me, man. She must really, you know, because we ha- we both have this, this system that we practice and that we've committed ourselves to. And regardless of that, she's going here with me. And what he's not realizing in that moment is that he's actually being manipulated. That hasn't crossed his mind as of yet. You know, so um, this continues to go on for some time. And, you know, she now had this way of controlling the relationship. And what happens in this relationship was when they were originally, when they got together, they were, you know, and they were platonic, they were talking about cultural things, spiritual things, and what they were going to do for their own spiritual community and their own families. Now they can't talk about those things anymore because there's a guilt there because they're violating certain laws. They're violating their word. They're, viol- they're violating their vow. So now even their conversation begins to shift. So Kenny is now enjoying this experience. He's enjoying the sex and he's, he's abdicating his position as what could be the head in this relationship because he's passively accepting these favors, you know, we'll call them sexual favors and this experience that he's having with, um, Diane. In truth, at this point, she is the active leader and he's the passive follower. So during the course of time, through the course of time, they actually do, um, they go to school, they graduate and they, they get married and they decide, okay, let's move, you know, let's move to the South. We'll say we're going to move to the South and, um, we're going to start our life together there. So while they're there, they find a, a small uh, spiritual community. In particular, more so she finds a small 
spiritual community and she takes her husband to that community so they can become a part of it. Now notice that she takes him. She takes him to the spiritual community. And, you know, it's not a small, it's a, it's not a small, uh, it's not a large organization. It's a small organization, small community of, of faith adherents and that cultural system and mainly older people. So they're really excited to have, uh, Kenny and Diane there because they're young and they're, they're full of a new sort of energy and a new sort of, uh, perspective. So they're happy to have them as a part of that community. And, you know, they appear to be very devout. They appear to be very religious. And, um, you know, they're, they're volunteering in the space. They're showing up. And it's primarily her. It's primarily Diane who is kind of driving the family in this direction and, and being present and making things happen within, you know, that, that, uh, space. You know, after uh, a course of time and due time, um, you know, do their volunteering and, and being a part of, of what this is. Diane, the woman, she joins a musical component of, uh, of this faith, this faith, uh, assemblage. You know, let's say that they have sort of an invocation team and she joins the invocation team and, uh, you know, she's being more present, more active in that, which is great. People are loving it. And her husband, who happens to be a musician, you know, he's a drummer. He joins as well and he plays the drums. So again, everyone is, is happy because they're contributing and they're part of what this community is, um, presenting. So, you know, they, they meet, uh, what we would say on the strong end on the weekends. And, and one interesting strong end, uh, Diane announces, uh, herself, you know, as they go into the music piece, as the ministers of music, her and her husband. And no one says anything because they figure, oh, you know, they're young, they're new to this experience, they don't really, they don't really understand the language of this space, so it's, it's cool, you know, they're just kind of caught up in the moment, if you will. And again, they're young, you know, so, um, people tolerate it, so it's okay, they didn't know. So, after a while, Diane starts to show up at other ministries, you know, um, within that faith assemblage. They have a children's ministry component. You know, of course, they have the music ministries component and they have the teaching, uh, component of this actual assemblage or this, this space. And, you know, with each component, there's leadership meetings and she starts to show up at the leadership meetings, even though she wasn't invited, invited and she's not actually a part of any of the leadership teams she just starts to show up and and no one says anything you know she's there of course people feel slightly awkward and they kind of ask each other did did you tell her to come or did you no i didn't tell her did you tell her to come you know so there's there's a slight little you know uncomfortability there and instead of saying anything they just kept tolerating you know she's here and before long she begins to disagree with some of the teachings of the organization and how things are being presented. And she begins her disagreements with just questions. You know, um, I'm not trying to be divisive or anything like that, but um, I just have a question about this. I'm trying to get some understanding. I have a question about that. And that's, that's how it, it really begins. Then eventually she's saying, you know, 
I know this particular thing was taught, but I don't think the tone was right. I know you wanted to do this series, but I don't really think that that's the series that we should be doing right now. You know, these are the type of things that she eventually begins to start sharing. So then it, it graduates from there. It starts to become a, we'll say a subtle problems, subtle problem. She starts to invite women over to her house in her controlled environment. And she starts to share come up some of her concerns in that space. And of course, in that environment, in her house, it's, she has people over and it's primarily women. And what she's sharing in that space is that, you know, she doesn't feel, you know, she feels that the, the, the spiritual movement, it's led by men and she doesn't feel like the women have a large enough voice and that's unfair. And there's a lack of, of love and compassion towards women and women's issues inside of that, that space. She even postulates that some of the teaching is inaccurate based on the books and the, and the source of study that they're working from. So next thing you know, she starts to hand out literature and she starts to share other teachers that, um, for people to look at, you know, again, primarily the women who are coming to her home and things like that for them to look at that. She feels shows a different perspective or a better perspective on what is being taught. And now because of what has been said, they begin to, to realize that they don't really trust the leadership inside of their, their organization. So they establish their own study, their own cultural study inside of the house. And they start inviting other women to come over and, and to study with them. So at this point now, other women begin to echo the things that she's saying. And now you have a, a faction that's been established and now it's divisive. So the leaders of the spiritual organization, they call the husband and they say, you know, you're the head of the home. So, you know, we want to speak to you about some of the challenges that we are currently having with your wife, Diane, and some of the things that she's doing. We want to speak to you about that. You know, and they say, listen, you know, these are some of the things that your wife has been doing and um, it's starting to become a bit of a problem. And we just want to speak to you. And the husband is, is completely compliant. He's amenable to everything that's being that's being shared. And, you know, he's very polite. He's apologetic. You know, and they say, listen, um, we want you, we want you to speak to your wife, you know, and we're sharing these things with you. We don't want you to tell her what we said, but we want you to maybe go home, meditate on it, you know, commune with the creator on it. And if you feel it's a problem, then you have the conversation with, with your wife. If you feel it's a problem, then you can speak to her in, in your own words, you know, and again, he's apologetic and he listens and okay, I, I can do that. So, you know, he, um, he listens, he absorbs everything. And, uh, they say, you know, go home, you can commune, you can reflect on it. And then you make the decision to share what you need to do, share, share what needs to be shared if you believe it's a problem. So he goes home and, um, you might be able to imagine what he did at this point. So. You know, as they said, you know, put it in your own words, you know, make sure it's coming from you. He goes home and he says to his wife, the leaders of the organization have a problem with you. These are all the things that they said about you. And in doing that, he extracts himself from the middle. He abjugates his responsibility. I'm out of it. It's it now becomes between you and them. So, you know, he's now established this this sort of head on collision, if you will between his wife 
and the leadership of this spiritual organization, you know, and because he's completely exited his responsibility, you know, and now upon hearing this, she's hurt. She feels her feelings are hurt. She feels judged. She feels scrutinized. She feels, um, that she's being, um, looked at in a, in a harsh and unfair sort of manner. She becomes very defensive. You know, she feels <clears throat> unloved. She gets very emotional now. And what happens now is a bunch of DMs. She's sending out a bunch of emails. Uh, there's even social media posts, right? So things begin to get messy. Things begin to get very loud, you know, in a, in a public sort of way. You know, there's even phone calls and, you know, and because she's now a victim, you know, at, at least that's what she's telling people. She's a victim. And it gets to the point, it embroils to the point that, you know, um, people are taking sides, sides now based on what she's sharing and people are even leaving the spiritual organization, right? Because of this messiness, because of all this drama that's, that's happening at this point. And what's interesting is that the story keeps changing. Now all of a sudden she was confronted directly and they were yelling at her and they were cursing at her and they were calling her out her name. And what we find is that the story keeps changing for some reason. You know, she even says they threatened her. So what happens is the, the community elders, they speak to the husband. They say, you know, can you reach out to your wife? This is starting to get messy and we need to have a meeting as a community and, you know, sort this thing out and see, you know, how we can bring this to a peaceful resolve. So they call the meeting, the husband shows up, and the wife doesn't. And when they say, okay, well, where's your wife? And the husband says, you know, she's very independent. You know, I, I told her we had the meeting, and, you know, we had to be here. And, you know, she's she's independent, you know, in her thinking. And, you know, the husband says, you know, she's um she's not going to come. She's not coming. So the elders say, listen, you know, if you can't lead her, you know, you being the leader of the family, uh, because she's so independent and she's being divisive, maybe it's, it's time for you two to find another community to be a part of. This may not be the best, the best fit. Now everything explodes. Once they say that this is a cult, they're domineering, they're heavy handed, this toxic patriarchy here this toxic masculinity here i've been mistreated this is spiritual abuse um now i demand to know the accounting of this organization i want to know where all the money is gone because this is a cult this is a cult you see all these now all of these different things are said in this moment you know uh towards the actual spiritual organization and you know so eventually, through these accusations and things, but the couple refuses to leave the spiritual organization. They're not leaving. And as a result, over the course of time, this small organization, they die. They die. And they eventually close down. There's no more organization. Because all of the drama, all of the divisiveness. And when that happens, she goes online. As a victim, of course, once everything shuts down, it says, see, I told you, 
What did I tell you? I told you I was a victim. I told you I was telling the truth. I'm a prophet. I saw this coming. My leadership was true. My visions were true. The dreams I told you about, they were all true. If they would have just listened to me, if they would have just followed my leadership, this would have never have happened. They should have just submitted to me and I could have saved our whole organization. I could have saved this movement. She's so emotional. She's so hurt now. And she postures herself as a victim when in truth she was just a witch. And I know this story may sound familiar, me sharing it. And because there's, there's a woman like this, there's a couple like this in every, every spiritual organization. And what does she look like? She's apostate. She's, uh, sexually confused. She's, um, even transgendered ideal. She's always independent. She can't find any organization that teaches the truth. She's always moving from organization to organization because none of them actually give the truth. None of them teach from whatever material, whether it's the Quran, whether it's the Bible, whether it's comedic studies. None of them are teaching the real thing. This person has mental health issues. She has a profound, deep religiousness. She has hatred towards any man that would say no. And she has hatred towards any man who would teach the truth. That's your Jezebel spirit. That's your Jezebel spirit. See, we've seen this person before. I know as I'm sharing the story, you're saying, man, I, I know someone like that. I know a situation like that that happened in my old church when I was younger or in my church now or in my synagogue now or in my spiritual community now and my cultural study now. There's a woman like that now. There's a couple like that now. You see, the Jezebel spirit always seeks to take control in the family environment and in the church environment. That's where they that's where they want to establish their reign, if you will, or they want to establish their dominance inside of those two environments. And, you know, as always, there is a there's a kind of a storm that they learn to kick up when they're they're rebelling against authority. Their their desire is deconstruction. When you read Revelation second chapter, twentieth verse, I Yahawashai have this against you. That you tolerate. There's a tolerate again. That you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. You'll find that in a spiritual organization, one Jezebel or Jezebel can totally wear out, fatigue, beat down an entire leadership team. They use threats. They use seduction. You see, and there's certain personality tendencies that you'll have, whether you're dealing with a Jezebel or Ahab. Ahab, again, primarily um, noted for their passivity. 
Jezebel primarily noted for their desire to oppress and control. So in this, in this, uh, sort of environment, you have, you have people who are, are possessed. They die disempowered. And to be possessed means to be filled with a counterfeit spirit. Sometimes we call that multiple personality disorder, you know, um, or disassociation, right? That's a new term that we use for multiple personality disorder or uh, bipolar, schizophrenic. Because remember, whatever the creator creates, the lower energy or satanic energy seeks to create its own copy. So, oh, you can be filled with the spirit of the most high. Okay, well, I have my own spirits that I can fill you with. They're called demons. You see? And what you'll always find, will spirits live inside of the oppressed. You look at Elijah. Elijah ran 100 miles and wanted to die. He was exhausted. You know, his his systems were deregulated at that point. You know? And that Yezebel spirit wants sovereignty. It wants control. It's very hard to remove <laughs> once you even allow it to be in the space. You see? You'll have men or people who have that Ahab spirit. And sometimes that Ahab spirit is very present because this is someone who maybe once saw control. They grew up with a parent who was very controlling. So now in their adult life, they don't want to control anyone. They're afraid. No, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't like to control people. You know, I like to give people their space and let them do the thing. Okay. Understood. You see, but that's where it comes from. When there's, there's an opportunity for truthfulness, they're always dishonest when it comes to their own issues. Or they use their past as their platform. I went through this. I was around abusive people. I was around people who always put me down, this and that. They always sink into this very soft, you know, when you're dealing with an Ahab person, uh, they always sink into that, into that place. You see, they only see their money as a, as a form of power, control. You know, these, these are things they use to relate to, to, to control. They want to control relationships. They want to control their families, their work groups, you know, their friend groups. They want to control through governance. They become the queen. You know, at the church of, uh, Thyatira, uh, she declared herself a prophetess. See, I'm ruling here. You know, but what she was doing was chasing real prophets away. So what that would be like, she's closing down churches. A spirit closes down assemblages and spiritual organizations. She killed the most highest prophets and, and paid 850 false prophets while hunting Elijah. You see, she wants information. You took, look at the story with Naboth and the grapevine. You know, collecting information, you know, and she always wants access to leadership. She's got to have access to leadership because she's the queen, you see. So that's why you see her linked in with Ahab in that way. Because I have to have, you know, even in conversations, you'll find one of the ways she uses a control, aside from being a mediator, being a hub, she wants to control access to leadership. Very common.
Sometimes there are women who come into the ministry and say, Chief, you got so much going on. You got so much you're doing. You know, I, I, I would like to be the person that everyone contacts if they want to get in touch with you and I can filter that out for you, for you first. Hmm. Okay. So you want to be the gateway. You want to control access to me. You see? Red flags. You see? She creates a mob. She stares up mobs. That's where you have the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. You know, she's staring up the masses, you know, and she's got an agenda for everyone. You just don't know for family, for nation, for Elijah. She even controls time by doing things like being late all the time, always missing deadlines, you know, um, putting forth demands. Putting forth threats. Like you notice when she said to Elijah, she said, you're going to be dead. That was first Kings 19, 19, two. She said, you'll be dead by tomorrow. <laughs> you got 24 hours. You're going to be dead. You, you, you see, she's that woman that you're with and you always feel like you're living apart, even though you're together, but you're living apart. When you look at second Kings nine and, and 30, Jezebel painted her eyes and adorned her head. She uses the sensual. She uses beauty to control, to control. She tries to control your energy. Elijah had to recover from, from his, his, his escape, his running for 40 days. You see, now a lot of times you'll find when you have male Jezebels, they're very domineering. They're super controlling. They're sexually demanding. They're imposing. They're overbearing. Um, you, you don't feel safe around them. You don't feel safe. You know, because of, of the level of control that they desire. You know, these are people who sometimes can be categorized as, as those who, uh, utilize other people for their sexual, um, value or, or, they may even be called misogynistic. I mean, true misogynist, not this, you know, we throw that a word around what people do. You know, when you have a female Jezebel, it manifests a little different. They usually use trauma to open the door. You know, their husbands are very fearful of them. The husbands even seek to avoid them. You know, she, she says evil things to her children. She does evil things to her children. If she's single, she'll get you in the bed and seduce you. So you can tolerate her so she can now dominate you. You see, she knows how to attack a man through strategic advantage in that sense. You know, now some of you may have seen that in your mother. You may have seen that in your fathers. Um, you have seen, you may have seen that passivity like Ahab or the controlling Jezebel spirit or the assertive or, or maybe you saw the assertive energy like Elijah. It's like, nope, mm-mm, nope, 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 not having it, you see. And you might have noticed here, yeah, there's some changes that need to be made based on those things that I saw. But like we said, it was it was the tolerating that became the biggest thing. When when Jezebel came, this this daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and she said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, and it was tolerated. You see, and through that toler that that toleration, you know, um, came adultery, 
And they said that there were male followers of Jezebel and the adultery they committed, they committed with her. Now we could see that as spiritual infidelity or Ahab was like a cuck, you know, what we say, a cuckold, just watching other men run trains on his woman. You see, this is a part of it. You see sometimes relationship situations where a guy sits in the corner and women are while he's watching other guys with his woman or she's, she's a polyandrous, you know, I have two, three husbands. I have four husbands. I have, you know, that's, that's a part of that, that we're being pulled away from, you see. But she comes into power by getting close to authority. And, you know, you may have listened to that story and said, man, that's that's not a unique story. <laughs> I mean, you might have been in, in a, on a job site with someone like that who came and brought that sort of energy because it's, it's not unique to just spiritual bodies. I use that in, in my example, but it's it's sort of it's an insidious sort of subtle spirit. It's destructive. It's extremely enticing. And it gains momentum from those who are fearful of stomping out that spirit. They're fearful of saying no. So they slowly bully you. And you find this with, with males a lot of times. They slowly are always crossing the line. You know, sometimes even in my own spiritual organization, there are people who exist who we, we establish certain rules. And they blatantly break them all the time. For instance, in Anu, we, we don't use narcotics. We don't smoke. We don't drink. Right. And there are people who they, they smoke and drink, you know, and, and you bring it to, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I still do that. See that, that's a Jezebel spirit because they're using that for control. Or we say, Hey, we're going to meet at 12 at noon every Sabbath. They always come in at 1203, 1210, 1215. Hey, where were you? Oh man, I overslept. Oh man, I had a problem with my, my technology. My phone wasn't working. Oh, this, you see, that's Jezebel spirit. They're seeking to control. That's all they do. So they, they find different ways I can control through time. I can set the tempo myself, you know, or I can control through, through consistently violating your rules and you're going to tolerate me. And, and through that toleration is how I'm going to sneak my other demons in. You see, thinking that they're not seen. <laughs> but when you have that spirit like Elijah, you see it coming a mile away and you speak to it and they pout, they get upset. So what? I'm just telling you what, what the, the creator has given me to tell you, you see. And often they look for that religious prestige too. And they use religious prestige in order to foster sexual liberty. That's why you have like all of these tantric goddess. I'm the tantric queen and you know, <laughs> you have that in the culture community, you know, cause they always going to come to you from a spiritual perspective. That's how they always, they always, you know, try to angle themselves at you. They're always hyper religious, you know, but depending on what the religious sin, they're going to be the most religious person. And they use that to rationalize what it is that they want to do. And it's usually the sensuality, you know, and people often won't see it as a, as being as illicit as it truly is. So like I said, I wanted to give that story, just to kind of give you a different way of looking at it. You know, that freestyle story and willfully I was as coherent as I should have been. All right. So we're just going to take a moment to address some other things and then we'll come back with more. 
All right, everyone. I just wanted to um, remind you all for those who have reached out, uh, wanting coaching and and consultations. Of course, uh, I am not doing readings at this time, so no etefas and no dafa. So at this at this time, I'm doing coaching. You know, so those of you who've reached out for coaching, you have questions, even spiritual questions. You know, fine, or you know, maybe you've um, had you know maybe some instruction that was given to you from someone else before, and you having trouble deciphering it and things like that are, are still perfectly fine. For that, you would go to askosiris.com, and that's for consultations. And if you want to purchase a, a coaching package, package where, you know, you get ongoing support, that's OsirisLife.com, OsirisLife.com. For classes, um, you know, like we have our online classes on Sadulu House, S-A-D-U-L-U-H-O-U-S-E.com. So you could take your Anu spiritual training and classes on meditation and crystals and astral travel and dreams and a whole bunch of other stuff, you know, so that's what you can get there at the Sedula House. And there'll be more classes coming up um, pretty soon, too, that I'm currently working on right now, like on sexual alchemy and a couple other things. Right. So just wanted to give you all the heads up on that. Sedula House, Ask Osiris, Osiris Life are some of the places that you can go. And of course, you can always follow me on, you know, my social media accounts. All right, cool. So we're back. And, um, you know, as promised, also our book, right? <laughs> you know, willfully, you, you know, that information and that story that I shared on the years of ball energy and what it may look like and what Ahab may look like in action, um, has been something that's a blessing and, and advantageous to you. All right. So the book that, um, I'm going to give you in this session you know, is the chaos machine, the inside story of how social media rewired our minds and our world. That's a book by Max Fisher. And, um, you know, as you, as you probably know, or I've been stating, you know, every book I've, I'm giving you is a book that, that I've read and that I've, uh, appreciated and kind of said that, uh oh, I don't know what that is, <laughs> that I've said and that I've kind of noted that yeah this this is what people can use you know there will be um i don't know why what that is on my <laughs> on my phone it keeps popping up but yeah this is these are books um that you'd be able to get into and uh that can be a blessing you know on your path and for what it is that you're seeking to learn about and to know about so this particular book is pretty good because it it deals with you know how social media, you know, and, and in particular algorithms, you know, which is such a, a very important thing to understand and to know about, but how algorithms have been used to sort of shape the way we think and, and to shape our perception of really of the world around us, you know? Um, so this particular book, I think you are, you would get a, a, a good sort of, um, I guess I'd say an understanding you know, um, about how the chaos, uh, that's generated through social media, how it's affecting us, you know? So, so, you know, the book kind of deals with how people can be steered 
into a certain way of thinking. And, you know, even in terms of gender and sexual identity and, and sexual understanding and how people can kind of be roped into those, those certain ways of thinking. Cause you think about a lot of, um, what we may accept, a lot of what we may tolerate in today's times, you know, and even many of our opinions are based on what we observe via social media, you know, so, this book actually gets into how that's actually done. And, you know, when you, you start to, to read it, I, I can say it might be a little fr- frightening <laughs> for some of you. Like when you realize like how deep the rabbit hole of uh, social media algorithms goes. All right. So that's a, that's a book that, um, I know that you will get a lot out of. And, um, it's not a terribly long read either. It's not a complicated read. Again, the chaos machine, um, the inside story of how social media rewired our minds and our world, you know, and again, that's written by Max Fisher. So that is your book for the strong. All right. Now let's get into our Q and a, let's get into our Q and a. All right. So let me, let me pull this up. All right, cool. So here we go. Um, so again, as always, questions can always be sent in to questions at chief. And this question, this strong question, greetings, chief. How does one kill hope? I've come across a lot of a lot on how to find hope while you're suffering. But I now agree with Buddhist teachings that hope is a cause of suffering. I think that if you can expel hope as well as fear, you can endure whatever is thrown at you and more effectively co-author your reality with the most high. I didn't ask about fear because you already have covered out. You already have work on out on fear that I'll have to continue to comb through. And because fear is an enemy that makes itself known, whereas hope is more cunning, you let it envelop your thinking. It will shield you from a miserable existence only for it to suffocate you while impairing your vision. That's far more dangerous than fear. In my opinion, thank you for your time. Peace. So great question, you know, but really it's like you answered your own question. How does one kill hope? Right. Um, the the fact that you have broken it down, like you said, uh, hope is more cunning. It envelops you thinking it will show you from a miserable existence only to suffocate you while impairing your vision. Okay. Once you pull it out into the open like that, it's it really can't survive. But, you know, for the purposes of, of what we're doing here, I'll still um I'll still break some things down, right? So um when we're looking at at hope, obviously uh, hope is the expectations of, of positive things, you know, uh, for, for many people see hope as just having a positive outlook on life, you know, just having a positive outlook. I'm, I'm expecting good things in my life. All right. That would, that would be considered, uh, hope or, you know, um, manifesting hope. And for some people, that's, that's really important. It's really important to have that thing. But, you know, the key with hope is the expectation. That's that's what gets you. You know, it's not necessarily the positive outlook or anything like that, but it's having an expectation. You know, and in Zen philosophy, in Zen, we have this concept that's called um, Shoshin. And Shoshin means to make your mind like it was in the beginning, right? Or the beginner's mind, Shoshin. And what is it, what it essentially is speaking about is emptying out your cup. You know how we speak about half full, half empty, 
as far as the cup, you know, but if I empty out my cup, then I have no expectations. You know, I have no, in, in, in any situation that I'm looking at, I have no sense of knowing what's going to come next or, um, allowing what's going to come next because I'm just completely open to whatever happens. And that removes, um, our tendency to sort of put our ego in, in, in place and say, well, I know this is supposed to happen for me or this is, you know, and that's where, you, where your hope comes because you start to see things. You've often heard me speak about that baby, Yahawashai, being silent through the world. You know, so when you're silent through the world, you have no expectation because you don't know anything. I haven't experienced enough to say, I know this is going to happen or um, there's going to be a nuance or something that occurs that's going to be to my advantage. You know, I'm just present. I'm just here. You know, I don't have any expectations. You know, um, I don't have any fantasies that are locked into my mind. Sometimes we have these, those old fantasies locked into our mind and we, and they begin to become a collection of perspectives. I think I'm supposed to have this, supposed to have that. I always wanted this, I always wanted that. And we lose our openness to experience because we're not seeing things with fresh eyes in that instance. So, you know, um, the way you, you, you get rid of hope or you kill hope as, as your question asks, you know, um, you kill all the coloring of your experiences and those colorings would be like, this thing could be good. This is for the good. This is for the ill. And those, that coloring of your experiences, the coloring of your foresight that then influences how you're going to react to everything that you encounter. So when you kill hope or you release yourself from the expectations, you release yourself from that trap that you created for yourself, you know, um, that looks for a certain transaction in every experience. And, you know, a lot of belief systems are based around hope. You know, that's why sometimes it could be a little difficult to discard because a lot of belief systems are like, this is going to happen for you. This, this thing is going to happen. And when you're able to release that, that hope, you can enter into the world with a fresh perspective, you know, and when you enter in with that fresh perspective, what happens is that you're able to live a more enriched life. You know, you're, you're able to live a more enriched life. And for some people, that's living a life of minimalism. You know, that helps to sort of mitigate or to minimize expectations, you know, um, because when you have this hope of, uh, uh, I guess, good things, that primarily comes from your imagination, you know, thinking that, oh, this is going to happen like this and this is going to be a good thing. And it may not happen the way you wanted it. So what happens as a result, you develop resentment inside of your system. You start to feel disappointment towards other humans and, and other experiences because they did not fulfill, um, they didn't fulfill your hope. They didn't fulfill what you expected for them to be. But when you're kind of living with intention and the, my intention is to live in the moment, you know, you become very intentional about everything that's in your life, every thought that's in your life, every fantasy that's in your life. So you begin to save your energy that you would have put towards hope and towards even people, and you put them towards the most important things. So if something doesn't go the way you plan or the way you want it, you know, your expectations may have been high, but you, you get to a point where um, you can say, well, maybe that was an unrealistic thing. My hope created this unrealistic objective. 
it created this this unrealistic goal that just really didn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, so you start to look at well, what exactly can I do? Because hope is also a way to remove accountability. You know, it, it to remove accountability from what you did or what you should have done. You know, as opposed to saying, this is what I can control. This is what I, I can do. You know, and maybe I may have certain hope even towards another individual, which may be unfair. You know, I'm judging them by my desire to have this hope. And that's not fair. You know, so you start to say, Hey, we're all different. We don't all think the same. We don't all move the same. And, um, why do I need to negatively criticize? someone or something because they didn't react in a way that I wanted them to react, you know? So, and a lot of times that, that sense of judging how a person should be is linked to how we feel about ourselves, linked to our own insecurities, if you will, if you will. Um, sometimes we may ask someone something or look for something because we're looking for validation from that person. We're looking for approval. And when we don't get the answer that we want, then we again, develop more resentment, you know, because we're hoping for something, you know, and one of the ways that you kind of get out of that, that sick cycle is you discover what motivates you, you know, be honest with yourself. What truly motivates me to move from this obstacle to that obstacle? You know, you start to think about what would be the best outcome in doing certain things? What would be the worst outcome in, in doing certain things? Does the outcome of certain experiences even matter? You know, um, you start to form contingency plans. If, well, if this doesn't work, then this, this is a cool outcome too. I can do this as well. You know, um, being intentional with your words is very important. You know, making sure that what you're saying comes from the heart as opposed to always coming from an angle where you're, you're trying to angle a person into a certain reaction or you're trying to angle a situation into a certain outcome. You know, well, God willing this, this, that, and I just hope it works out of it, you know. But just being very direct. I need this to that and that and that. I need to have this amount of money in my bank account by this date. And this is what I'm able to put in there right now. So I'm not expecting any, I'm not imagining any, any miracle or anything to, to come out of the sky and sort of save me. But this is what I'm able to do. And, you know, when things don't work out the way you want, acknowledging that you're disappointed. You know, sometimes we're always so, I'm cool. I'm all right, man. You know, it is what it is. <laughs> you know, some of those, sometimes those statements can be the most dangerous because we won't allow ourselves to feel disappointed, you know? Um, and when we allow ourselves to feel disappointed, then we can step back, look at the larger picture and say, okay, um, this is how I'm feeling. This is, this is what I'm going through. And now I can move on. I can move on from that. Cause I have allowed myself to feel that whether it was optimism in the moment, whether I looked at my setback with pessimism, you know, but I can focus on what I'm doing and what I'm enjoying rather than what did not happen or what I'm missing out on, you know? And again, like I said, a lot of that comes from working out, understanding, you know, if your hope is, is built up in people, one of the important things to understand is that people are not mind readers. You know, sometimes people get caught off on that. You know, they think people are mind. You're supposed to understand how I'm supposed to understand what I'm going through, you know? So there's, there's different ways to kind of kill hope, if you will, in a healthy way. And just always remember that you can control how you react to situations you can control you know how hope hits you you know or how your expectations uh uh hit you because you have complete control of your reaction 
You know, you can you can choose that. So you can make an active choice to to let things go or to examine them or to go through them. It, it that's on you instead of dwelling on resentment and disappointment and having this sort of um hate affair, if you will, with the concept of hope. So willfully that answered your question. Um and thank you for sending it in. You know, thank you for for sharing the question, you know, and again, for anyone who asks questions going forward, you can always send them to questions at chief com. I know there's already questions in the queue. People probably listening like, when are you going to get to my question? <laughs> you know, I'm going to get to them. You know, every show I'm, I'm, I'm going to go through it, man. So just keep listening, keep tuning in and we'll definitely get to your question. All right. Okay. So, um, I will that you got a lot out of this, this particular broadcast. Um, podcast broadcast and um you know again dealing with the, the jezebel and ahab spirit man um just understand that it is your indifference and your passivity and your tolerance that leads the way that allows that sort of spirit in and often people may play the victim you know when you call them out on their behavior no matter how nice you you put it no matter how much patience you show in fact you may find that the more patience you show the worse they get because when you finally bring it up, what they'll say is, you didn't say this before. <laughs> you didn't act like there was an issue before, you know, and they'll they'll sort of play that game with you, you know, um, and you say, man, I wish I would have said something before, you know. So um, just understand, you know, we're going to continue with this. This series is more to it. And like I said, the reason why we're, we're continuing we're to keep digging into it, because it's such a it's such an important aspect of living today because we are under full-fledged attack by the Jezebel spirit full-fledged attack you know and if and if you're unable to see that unfortunately you know if maybe you lack discernment or maybe you're so locked up in the middle of it you don't even realize like man I'm being I am currently being you know dragged through the mud if you will um by this particular spirit and maybe you just don't know how to how to get out of it maybe you didn't know it was a spirit you know may, maybe you didn't realize that it was something that that's is that sinister and it's that strong um and that there's there's demonic influence that's inherent in it you know but through your passivity um you know you become an enabler through your aggression, you know, you become controlling, but you have to learn to have that humble confidence of like an Elijah or Elijah, where you become assertive in a, in a healthy way. And you, you're choosing the way you, you start to defeat these spirits. We're going to get into, you know, in our next session, like, how do I overcome it? How do I defeat it? You know, and one of the key things with that is fear. You got to remove fear. Like, you know, we spoke about removing hope, you know, that question that was asked. You got to remove fear. You don't tolerate. You confront, you know, um, you always choose the flesh over the body. I mean, I'm sorry, the spirit over the flesh, because that particular spirit, it, it, like I said, it uses sensuality, you know, compliments, things like that. It gets in through your flesh. You can't fight the flesh with the flesh. It doesn't work like that. You know, you have to take the higher road and you have to fight that spirit from the top down. So you have to go spiritual, you see, um, and you got to be able to speak the truth in love. You know, sometimes, again, that passivity, you have someone who's controlling. Sometimes people control through their low achievement. You know, they're constantly doing something where they're just not seeking to achieve anything. And, you know, in, in a spiritual organization, a ministry, whatever, you don't say anything because man, I don't want to hurt their feelings. They know what they're doing. 
they're, they're establishing an environment that fits the standards that they want to have. But you don't say anything because you feel bad. You see, but you have to confront and speak truth out of love, being that, that peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Much difference. Big difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. You, you, you see. So we'll, we'll get into going forward, you know, like how you begin to defeat some of those, some of those ideas and kind of separate what's real from what's fake. You know, it's similar to, you know, the question was asked on hope. There's a, there's a, there's a scene in the Shawshank Redemption. Morgan Freeman is talking about and he says, you know, hope. He's like, let me tell you something, my friend. And he's like, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope, hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You know, um, there's a, there's a truism to that. We're not going to live in fantasy. This is the reality of what we're dealing with. And we got to confront our reality with all the truth that it deserves. All right. So this has been the Chief of Your Podcast. Again, I thank you. I think it's the 85th episode. Right, 85th episode. Um, I thank you all for tuning in. And again, um, those interested in the Anu retreat, I see we have some people who've been signing up. You know, um, come on through. <laughs> we'll be in New Orleans, and we'll be dealing. You know, obviously when we're on retreats, we have a lot of fun. We have, you know, teaching that we do. We we have, you know, it's all fun though. You know, um, fun and tears. <laughs> Let me say that it's tears too. You know, it's, there's always those opportunities. People just get to release and relax, and you know, knowing that they're in they're in safe hands and that's always something that's been very important to me you know when someone comes into that's why i'm quick to cast out of jezebel because i don't i, I nah man you're not gonna be a wolf in this environment because people come into our new with all sort of issues that maybe i only i know about you know and i know they need a safe space to lay their head man you know so that's one of the beautiful things about it. for me with retreats is always looking at the children that's that's my favorite part i have to be honest with the retreats um, it's not the vegan s'mores and all of that, but it's um, just watching the children go take off. <laughs> they jump out of the cars and everybody pulls up and they just boom because they're safe. They're around a bunch of people who care for them. There's nowhere they can turn without an auntie or an uncle. Say, hey, what are you doing? Hey, put 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 the put the vest on. Put the light. Y'all y'all going out on the boat on the lake? Hey, put the vest on. You know. Um, <laughs> you know, some of us, myself included, by the day one or two, we're hoarse. Our voices are gone. <laughs> you know, hey, hey, wait, hey, come over here. Hey, man, you broke the thing. <laughs> oh, man. Who would who would have thought one day this is who we'd become, right? <laughs> when we were young ourselves. Who would have thought? But anyway, but it's all good. It's all fun, right? So, yeah, man. Um for those interested in retreat and stuff, you know, definitely go to onnewlifeglobal.org. That's where you can sign up. And we got a lot of new, beautiful things happening, man, that um, you, you guys probably want to be a part of. And also for those who want to apply, who want to be a part of the ministry and get closer to the, the teachings and the things that we talk about on the, in the inner gates, you know. And, and you know, um, definitely shout out to the members, too, who have been making a concerted effort to live near each other. You know, we've been going through something over the past year or two. Well, no, a little longer. It'll say one to three years where we've kind of all been converging in the same space, you know. So now we have a good amount of members who live no more than 20, 30 minutes from each other, you know, and we're slowly even converging closer and closer until we're on the same land together, you know. So I just wanted to 
give an acknowledgement for those members who've made that a priority. We have some members that they move in June, end of June, something like that. Um, who are, who are coming through in June as well, man. So that's been a beautiful thing, man, to be able to, uh, if any of you saw the last, uh, live we did, um, Friday evening, Sabbath evening, you saw we were, uh, we were, we were out there. We were trying to roast some marshmallows, but, um, you know, we roasted marshmallows and having fun and, you know, um, just relaxing. And that's how we concluded, um, Ramadan together. You know, we ate together, went outside, lit some fires and, you know, and just just had a good time you know so um especially those also shout out who got through ramadan and you know who experienced it this time and fast and got some clarity keep moving on that momentum keep moving on that momentum and use that to strengthen and empower you that's one of the key ways that you get through demonic oppression oppression which is different than possession fasting fasting but understand when you come out of your fast like when yahweh came out of the 40 days who was there? Hey, man. <laughs> let, me, let me wrap a taste with you. <laughs> you know, so you'll always have your temptations that'll be stronger at the end of that fast when you're like, man, made it through. It's like, all right, well, come on back to your old life. Got something for you, you know? So, um, that's why it's good to be able to do things within a community setting where we can strengthen each other and encourage each other, man. So, um, come on through, you know? Let this be your year, you know, be a part of this experience. And like I've said many times, we all need we all need a shepherd. We all need someone who watches over us, man, and and who is concerned and invested in our best interest and a community that we can build inside of cultivate our gifts and our genius within. But, um, you know, I had a talk with the men about that today, about just being being more direct and being more confrontative with each other when we see each other is not living up to our full potential not delivering at the level that we should be delivered don't be afraid to say because we love each other I mean, you're my brother but hey man you messed that up you're my brother but yeah and we might not say must you know on the in the inner walls of our new we're, i i can say on the men's side it's definitely like a locker room, <laughs> you know. So if anybody comes in, they expects like you know, like I always say, we ain't we not a church, so don't come here expecting that, you know. Um, you got a bunch of rough guys. <laughs> we love each other, but yeah, a lot of us are rough around the edges. So there's a lot of profanity, <laughs> not a lot. I, mean, I shouldn't say it. I'm playing, but you know, we definitely are very. Uh, we try to be direct with each other, you know, and, and stuff like that. But that's an important thing, man, because that's love. And when you don't do that, that's not love. That's hate. You know, you just sit and watch somebody live beneath their potential and you don't say anything, man. So iron must sharpen iron. And for the women, brass must sharpen brass. That's just what it is, man. And that's what this this community it's, it's one of the important things for us, you know. So, again, man, you know, make make your next move your best move. You know, and if you want to be a part of this and, you know, again, have this shepherd, you know, um, it's important. You know, I watch over everyone, you know, I make sure everyone is, is in a good place in a safe space and doing what they're supposed to do. And we all need that in our lives. We all need that. Believe it or not, you know, because that's where you start to get picked off by that Jezebel and Ahab spirit. When you don't have eyes on you, say, hey, come here a second. Let me tell you something. Now, nah, you see what you just allowed there? Don't don't do that. Let me tell you how that's going to turn out. Don't do it. You know, or you pull that guy to the side and you say, hey, you know, um, you might want to step up a little bit. <laughs> you might want to stand tall or that female, 
You're too passive. You're being controlled. You're being domineered. You're dominated on your job or whatever. That shouldn't be happening. That's not normal. You know, so these things are important. But nonetheless, thank you for tuning in. This has been a Chief UI podcast. Um, feel free to sh- send your questions and comments and let me know how you enjoyed the little Buddha. Let me know how you enjoyed the chaos machine. All right. And until next time, I'll see you. Peace.